The following is a presentation of the Open Door Bible Baptist Church and Pastor Chris Tice. For more audio and video content, please check us out on the web at www.opendoornj.org. As we look at Galatians 5, Paul repeatedly tells the Galatians that Christians need not fear any condemnation because of their failure to keep the law, because they are righteous in Christ. And a lot of times when people hear this, I know what the initial reaction is. Boy, if I believe that, then I'd be, believe, I'd be able to live any way that I wanted to live. And that's the fear sometimes. You say, how can you tell people that uh, you don't have to fear failure because your righteousness is in Christ? Won't people then go out and live how they want and just say, I can do whatever I want, I can live how I want, I can sin if I want, and God will just forgive me? And at first sight... The gospel seems to remove all incentive to live a holy life. And I believe that that is the view of someone who is not in Christ. Uh, When you're religious, you think, I need the law to keep me right or I won't do what's right. Uh, When you are held by or in bondage to religion or self-righteousness, you think your righteousness has to perpetuate the freedom or perpetuate uh, the holiness that's within you through your performance. And so this is a critical passage, Galatians 5. And Paul wants us to to show us that gospel freedom from fear and condemnation ultimately, ultimately leads us to obey God and not to please ourselves. That's what the Bible shows us here. And so as we look at this together, I know sometimes when you hear that, well, I'm free now in Jesus. I have freedom through the gospel. I have freedom in Christ. That initial response is, especially those of us who perhaps have religious backgrounds, is then what's going to keep me doing right? What's going to keep me from sin? What's going to keep me living a holy or righteous life? Well, let's talk about that this morning. The first one I want to bring up to you if you're following along is stand in your freedom. It's the way that he starts the chapter. He says, stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ has made us free. Do you see those two words, liberty and free? They're synonymous, aren't they? He's literally saying to us all as believers, you were set free for freedom. It seems like, you know, why is he doubling down on the same word? Why is he saying that? Because it's important that we understand the purpose for which we were set free. I think we can align this to uh, us as Americans. How many thankful for the freedoms that you enjoy today as an American citizen because of the structure and history of our country? How many glad that people fought for that freedom and that we have and still enjoy? How many thankful for our military and those that still stand and fight for our freedom? I'm glad for those that are in our government that still stand for and fight for our freedom. I'm thankful uh, to be a believer today and not have a country that I'm living in that is anti or against the freedoms that I enjoy today uh, as a believer. And so verse 1 is the summary of the last two chapters of the book. In a sense of the whole book, Paul tells us that we have a profound freedom that's in Christ. And Paul's initial sentence is even stronger, more emphatic. He says, for freedom, Christ set you free. In a a most definitive way, Paul tells us that Christians have been set free. But then he warns us. There's a warning that comes, a responsibility that comes with freedom. How many feel, as an American, the sense of responsibility that comes with the freedom that you have? 
that you have a responsibility to guard, that you have the responsibility to stand in, that you have the responsibility to protect the freedom. How many want your children to enjoy the same freedom that you have? Uh, And your children's children. And as long as uh, God will allow us to have, we want that freedom uh, there. But in the gospel, we have freedom that the Bible says can never be taken away from us. And here's here's the point to Christians. It can't be taken away from you, but you can give it up. Think about that. It can't be taken away from you, but you can give it up. He, he says here, uh, as he gives us, uh, there's implications that come. He says, he says, first to us, if you are, as a believer, in freedom, to keep your freedom, you must stand fast. He's talking to believers. You must stand firm. And there's an interesting, again, parallel to the political freedom. It's well-observed fact that it takes vigilance and responsibility for a nation or group of people to maintain their political independence. And Paul says this is just as true with regard to spiritual freedom. Free believers need to stand firm in their freedom. To stand firm essentially is a military term. It it mixed together uh, the ideas of keeping alert, being strong, resisting attack, sticking together. This is the message as we go through Paul's epistles is what he tells us to stay united, to stay together, to don't uh, allow yourselves to be separated from within or from without. How many know there are a lot of things in us that can separate us? There are a lot of things without us that can separate us. And if we're not sober and vigilant and understand that there's an adversary that seeks to devour us and draw us astray... Uh, we won't stand in the liberty that Christ has made us free for. In short, despite the fact that we've already been saved by Christ, we must be continually diligent to remember, to persevere, to rejoice in, to live in, in accordance with our salvation. We cannot lose our salvation, but we can lose our freedom from enslavement to fear. How many glad this morning that in Jesus, your salvation cannot be lost? But let me share something with you. You can lose your freedom as a believer. You can lose your freedom as a believer. And the only way that happens is is one or two ways. And I want to illustrate that. Uh, We have some of our kids with us. Josh, you mind helping me out today with the illustration? Can you come up here and uh, help me out? Probably this is how they do it in kids' church. I don't know. I'll ask Pastor Will later, but there's a lot of illustrations. Can you stand on this spot for me? And I want you to stand there, but I want you to stand fast, all right? So don't don't move, all right? Just stay, stay on that spot, okay? Come on, man. Stay on that spot. Stand firm. Stand fast. Don't, don't move. Don't, uh, stand fast. Stand firm. Don't, don't move, all right? Stay, stay on that spot, all right? What we understand is, you see what I'm doing? How many know that we have an adversary, and what he's trying to do is shove us off our freedom? He wants us to take away our freedom. He wants to pull us off the freedom that we enjoy in Christ. And so he comes and he assaults us, and he accuses us, and he gives condemnation to us. Uh, We heard uh, last Sunday evening, uh, Master's Pastor Brian preached from 1 John about uh, our authentic freedom that we have in the Lord. And he he tells us, what what did he tell us about that? Uh, He told us that if our hearts condemn us, God is greater than our hearts. How many know sometimes we allow the condemnation to come from inside, the accusation to come in from outside? And sometimes as believers, we're not very discerning about this, that there is a difference between the Holy Spirit convicting us and the devil accusing us. And there's a big difference between that. How many know that you have to discern that sometimes? 
if the Holy Spirit is convicting you, he's talking to you about something that you are living in, something that you are involved in. If you're involved in sin, the Holy Spirit, as a believer, will convict you of your sin. He will point it out in your life. That's not the devil condemning you. That's not something you should cast off. Sometimes believers, they try to put that down and quiet that voice. The Bible talks about that as grieving or quieting the Holy Spirit in your life. If the Holy Spirit is pointing something out that you are in, that you are doing, a way of living or a way of thinking or a habitual sin that you are currently involved in, if the Holy Spirit is convicting you, uh, the freedom that you can enjoy in Christ can be regained if you submit to the leadership of the Holy Spirit and you obey the word of God. But what happens is when the devil comes, how many of the devil sometimes reminds you of something you used to do? Some, some way, oh, you can't be free as a Christian because you did this. Remember when you did that? Remember the lifestyle you used to have? Remember how you used to live? Oh, you, you're, you can't be righteous. You, you can't be holy. And we carry around guilt and we carry around baggage. And it's the devil trying to push us off the freedom that we enjoy. And so Paul is saying, stand Firm, stand fast because you have an adversary that's going to try to push you off your freedom. There was another instance or issue to which Paul was speaking about too, and that was in the Galatian church. In the Galatian church, there were people trying to lure them off their spot. Now, I'm going to try to do this today. Josh, you want this? I got a tootsie roll, all right? Some of you just paid attention for the first time. Do you want this? You do? All right, just come down and take it. Come on, man. I told you to stand fast. That was too easy. Go back on your spot. How many know that temptation can pull us off our freedom? There's temptation that comes, and that's the temptation to sin, to live a life that dishonors God, that displeases God. And we can be tempted, the Bible says, of the devil, and we can do that for very, sometimes very simple things. How many have ever been pulled off your freedom for something silly? And you said, God, why in the world am I entangling myself again with this thing? Why in the world am I involving myself? You set me free from that. What in the world am I doing coming off my freedom for something that, how long is this going to last, by the way? Sin has pleasure for a season. It's till you chew it up and you swallow it, and then what, what? You want more. You want more. You want more. There's always a desire for more. And we get pulled off the freedom that we enjoy in Jesus. We get pulled off the freedom that we have. By the way, can I remind you today that the freedom you have in Christ is freedom from sin. It's freedom from the bondage of sin. It's freedom from worldliness. It's freedom from ungodliness. It's freedom from lust. It's freedom from those things. But how many still lust that's within you? And uh, the Bible says a man's drawn away of his own lust and he's enticed. Uh, How is he enticed? Well, when temptation meets my desire for and provides an opportunity with, I can be drawn away from the liberty that I'm supposed to have in the Lord Jesus Christ. Can believers sin? Yes. Can believers continue in sin? Yes, they can. It's possible. Can believers get entangled with sin? They can. And Paul is saying to this church, you better be careful because you have an adversary that's trying to pull you off your spot. But there's also something else. If this doesn't work, which this did, I should have got somebody else. 
I didn't think that was going to work. I thought you would stay there for the Tootsie Roll. I thought we were going to have to go to something else in order to pull you off your spot. You want this? You can be honest. Do you want it? He's being honest. Listen, sometimes we're not honest. We say, oh, I don't want that. Yes, you do. Yes, you do. Let's, let's not gather to get, oh, I don't want to sin. Yes, you do. The devil knows what you desire. He's studied man for thousands of years. He's crafty. He's a liar. He's a deceiver. He knows how to get us hook, line, and sinker. He understands what makes us tick. Didn't he start in the garden? Yea, hath God said, hey, look at what God says you shouldn't have and understand that there's good in it. Can I do good with this? Yes, I can. Is there anything inherently evil about this? Some people say, oh, the love of money. I mean, money is the root of all evil. No, the love of money is the root of all evil. There are good things that can happen, and sometimes we get pulled away with things, and we say we, we justify it in our mind. And, you know, in the Galatian church, it might have been, I'll profit more from religion. You know what I understand more as a pastor? I may profit more from preaching the prosperity gospel, but I can't. I have to stand fast in the truth. Are you with me? I may personally profit more from preaching the prosperity gospel, but if I preach the prosperity gospel, I'm not standing fast in the liberty that Christ has made me free in. And if you preach a message just to get this, you know the Bible talks about men that are greedy, of filthy lucre, desirous of this. And Paul was saying, there are people that are coming in to trouble you. They're trying to pull you off your spot. They're trying to keep you from what it is that you're supposed to be doing. And if you're not careful, you won't stand fast. You won't stand firm because you'll justify the reason why, oh, there's nothing wrong with this. There's nothing inherently bad about it. Uh, I can come away from it. I can compromise a little bit. I can come away from the truth. And the problem that we have today, thank you. Give Josh a hand. Good job. You can have that anyway for standing. Some of you say, can I, be, uh, can I help now? <laughs> Sometimes, if we're not careful, what we do is we justify the things that we do and we lose our liberty. The second impl implication looks back to, in, in Galatians 4, that we've, what we've already discussed, and that's this, that law-keeping religion is slavery. To... Give up our freedom to go back to religion would be slavery, just like to give up our freedom to go back to sin would be slavery. If he can't get you with sin, he might get you with pride, the pride of self-righteousness in religion. How many know that sometimes that's what happens in the church? I begin to think more highly of myself than I should. I have a lower view of others and a higher view of myself. Well, I don't talk, and I don't chew, and I don't go with those that do. I don't even know if that's still a thing. Does anybody chew? You know, I, I, don't, I don't walk with those that are doing, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm righteous. I do right things. I live a holy life. And, and we start to think more highly of ourselves, and we get entangled with the yoke of the bondage of self-righteous religion. And that keeps us equally, just like sin does, from our freedom in Jesus Christ. 
That's what Paul was warning against. They were going back to what couldn't save them and using that to prop up their, 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 their flesh so that they felt better about themselves. Preach the gospel to yourself every day. What does the gospel say to you? You are a sinner. You deserve hell. You deserve to die for your sins. And without Christ, without His saving grace, uh, you would be nothing. You would be dead. You would be undone. You would be helpless and hopeless. And there's nothing that you've done from the moment you met Jesus to this day that has made you any better before God. Jesus has kept you in a right standing before God. It is His righteousness that you're clothed. Sometimes we trade what God sees in us for what others see about us. Paul exhorts them not to become burdened by a yoke. Look at verse 1. He talks about that yoke. It was common in Judaism of the time to talk about taking on the study and practice of the whole law of Moses is coming under the yoke. Remember Jesus talked about that? What did he say? Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. For my yoke is what? Easy. My burden is light. What did Jesus scathingly, uh, heavily, accusatorily say to those Pharisees and those scribes? You have put burdens on the people. You have put them under a yoke of bondage. You have heavily laden them with your religion. And Jesus wanted to set them free from that. They were putting burdens on people. They were burdening people down in their life. How many know that living the Christian life is hard enough without all the religious rhetoric? Living the Christian life, following Christ, and if we're not careful, we go back to law because we have this punch list of things that we can do so that we can feel like we're living the Christian life or following Jesus, but we're not maturing in Christ. We're not growing in Christ. We're not winning people to Christ. We're not, we're not, we're not discipling others. We're not building up the church. We're just building up our own platform. We're building up our flesh again. Christ and the early church saw the Pharisees and the teachers of the law as enslaving people with this yoke. And the Galatians uh, were in danger of going under this yoke. But the startling word in the last sentence is the word again. Notice what he says. Stand fast, therefore, the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free, and be not entangled again. Be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. The Galatian Christians had been pagans. They were under the slavery of literal idolatry, the basic principles of the world. But here Paul once more makes his radical claim that pagan idolatry and biblical moralism are basically the same thing. Did you get that? Pagan idolatry and biblical moralism are basically the same thing. On the outside, one looks bad and the other looks good, but both end up keeping you in the same bondage. You know what a lot of people do? They go from paganism, the paganism of their sin, to the idolatry of religion. And they're in the same bondage. They're under the same yoke. Hey, listen, their fear doesn't go away. Their condemnation doesn't go away. They're still insecure. They're still not sure they're still always constantly confused about their Christian life and their standing with God and always living in fear, always living in guilt, always living worried, always living afraid. Listen, if you are living constantly in fear and in bondage, you were not saved by Jesus to live in that fear. 
You were not saved by Jesus to live in that discouragement. You were not saved by Jesus to live in your anxiety. And if we're not careful, what we do is in the church, we continue to propagate that and, and we, we actually put more things on people and we keep them from being free in the Lord Jesus Christ rather than building them up. What does the Bible say we're supposed to do? Build one another up, edify one another, build up, build up, build up. How many know that you can build people up with your words or you can tear them down? You can build yourself up or you can tear yourself down. Listen, That voice that you're not good enough, you're not doing enough, you're not performing enough, you're never going to be enough. That's not the Holy Spirit. That shouldn't be in preaching. That shouldn't be in teaching. Burdening, burdening, burdening. Do more, do more, do more. And the more you do, the less free you are. The more you perform, the more condemnation you fear. Uh, the, the more you do, the, the less you're satisfied. You become tired and you become overwhelmed with because you can't balance properly just living the Christian life. It's always more, more, more. I'm thankful that that is not the message of Christ. That is not the message of the gospel. Jesus came to set us free and he said, you shall be free indeed. Absolutely free. And nobody should be able to take that freedom away from you. But do you see how it works? It can't be taken away, but it can be given away. It can be forfeited in our lives if we're not careful. The Galatians had been amoral liberals, and now they were about to become very moral conservatives. If you go from being a liberal to be a conservative, you still, if you die in your sins, will go to the same place. You with me? Becoming a conservative, becoming religious, changing over uh, uh, the way that you vote or the way that you act or, uh, listen, you go out and you start doing more uh, community service, you start trying to help more people and do more things. Becoming more conservative, if you were more liberal, does not save your soul nor set you free. That's not what the Bible's talking about. You're taking, you're trading one bondage for another bondage. You're trading one yoke for another yoke, and you will not be free in either. Paul is saying that these boil down to the same spiritual slavery. Under circumcision, the Galatians will experience once again the anxiety and guilt and the burden life that they knew before as pagans. As I was talking to a rabbinical student recently about the Sabbath laws, and we were going back and forth about the Sabbath and the purpose of the Sabbath, and at the end of the day, he said this, the purpose of the Sabbath is that we might have rest and worship God. And I said, I agree with that. But how with all these additional laws that you've added to the Sabbath, do you rest at all? How does it not turn into examining each other, weighing each other, judging each other, making sure you're doing it right, that you're dressing right, that you're acting right, that you're behaving right, that you're performing right, that you're ritualing right. Where is the rest in all of that? Listen, and as believers, we look at the... Jews, and we say, oh, they're under a yoke of bondage. But there are a lot of Christians that are under the same yoke of bondage. They're doing the same thing. It's just on Sunday. They're not doing it on Saturday, but they're weighing each other, and they're weighing themselves, and they're examining themselves, and examining each other, and judging each other. Am I doing it right? Am I I standing right? Am I acting right? Am I talking right? Am Am I doing everything right? And you're not worshiping God because you're stuck on yourself. How can you look at God if you're constantly looking at others and looking at yourself? 
How can you worship the Lord in the beauty of His holiness if you're so stuck on your own holiness? How can you thank, the God, thank God for His righteousness if you're so wrapped up in your own righteousness? The Bible says going about to establish their own righteousness. They have made of no effect the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Righteousness didn't come by the law. Righteousness came by grace. Righteousness came by the grace of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. The second thing I want to point out to you today is this. Make Christ your treasure. Make Christ your treasure. Ultimately, the Galatians face an either-or decision. Will they make Christ their treasure in whom they found forgiveness and fulfillment, or will they look back to the law-keeping and circumcision, which we're supposed to, by the way, point them to Jesus Christ and free them from the bondage of those things, but they got stuck in them. We also have that choice. The teaching of the Judaizers was this. Unless you're circumcised and keep the law, you cannot be saved. Paul retorts that. On the contrary, he says this, if, you, if they adopt this teaching and follow it, they cannot be saved. He says, verse 2, notice, Behold, I say unto you that if you be circumcised, Christ shall what? Profit you nothing. What's he saying? Christ is no value to you if the law is where you find your righteousness. Christ has no value to you if you value your own righteousness. If you value your religious righteousness, Christ is made of no value. Boy, I don't know about you, but I don't want to live my life where Christ has no value. What's he supposed to be? Our reward, our inheritance, our treasure, the one that we love. Let me ask you a question this morning. Do you love Jesus Christ? How many know there's one thing to say it? It's another thing to live it. If you love me, he says what? Keep my commandments. It's interesting that the religious often get stuck on that when they don't go back to what his commandments are. What did Jesus say the greatest commandment is? Love me. Love me. With what? All your heart and all your soul and all your mind and all your strength. And then what does he say this? The second commandment, on which all the law and the prophets hang, by the way, is like unto the first, love each other. You want to love me? Love me with all your heart. Love me with all, keep my commandments. Love me with all your heart. You want to love me? Love me with all your soul. Love me with all your mind. Don't say you love me and then love me part ways. Don't say you love me and, and, and love me with words, but not love me with deeds. Don't claim that you love me and don't worship me. You worship yourself. You worship idolatry, the, the idols of this world, or you worship uh, religion, or you worship the things, your own righteousness. Don't, love me with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength and everything that you are. Love me with all that you have and all that you are, and then love each other the same same way. How many know that that is impossible to do without the love of Christ constraining us, compelling us? Why do we love him, by the way? Because he first loved us. And what kind of love did he love us with? Didn't he love us with everything? 
He loved us with all that he had. He loved us with all that he was. He he loved us with all that he will be. He he loved us with all his heart, with all his soul, with all his mind, with all his strength. He loved us in a way that we never even could comprehend what is the depth and the breadth and the height of the love of God. I I can't even understand it. I'm thankful that I'm in it, but I can't can't contain it and I I can't feel its boundaries. How many thankful that you can't exist uh, uh, in the boundary or cross over beyond the love you can't come to the edge of there is no edge to the love of God in your life there's no boundary to his love it's it's boundless it's it's never ending it's eternal in its nature it's everlasting in its length it it never runs out and nothing can separate you from the love of Christ nothing in this life nothing after this life nothing in dimensions or space or time nothing can separate you from the love of God Boy, sometimes we get so thinking about the love of God as compared to how other people have loved us. Well, you don't understand people that are supposed to love me have have not loved me well or people that were supposed to love me have left me and people have abandoned me and people have misused me and I'm insecure because of that. You can be set steadfast and secure in the love of God today because His love never changes and it never ends. And He says, don't Give it up. Don't let it go. Don't trade it for the cheap manufactured love of paganism, idolatry, or religion. Christ is our reward. You can't add to Christ without subtracting Christ. The whole series we've been calling plus nothing. Notice what he says. Christ becomes nothing to you. He becomes of no value to you. Why? Because you add to him. How many know that when you add to the gospel, you don't have a gospel? When you add to what Jesus has done, you don't have what Jesus has done. When you try to change it, alter it, this is, the, this is the thing that religion needs to repent of, by the way, while they claim to believe in Jesus' death and Jesus' life and Jesus' burial and Jesus' resurrection. What do they do? They add all the trimmings and the trappings of the law and their own laws and their own religions and their own structures and their own rituals. They put caveats where God doesn't. They sign contracts where God doesn't ask you to do. They say they control God's love for you. They can control God's salvation in your life. They can give it to you. They can take it away from you. Nobody can take away from you what you didn't earn, what you didn't try to, uh, what you didn't get in your own righteousness, what they had not uh, to offer for you. Religion cannot save you. The church cannot save you. Your works cannot save you. Only Jesus can save you. And if Jesus has saved you, then nobody can take away from you what they didn't give to you. That's something we need to hold on to today. How many sometimes in our salvation we get a little shaky? We get a little insecure. We get a little off kilter. How many know this isn't an excuse to go out and live how you want? This isn't an excuse to go out and do what you want. By the way, the more you understand this and the depth of this, the less you want to live how you want. The more you want to submit to His will the less you want of this world, the less you want of your flesh. Listen, if you're in love with the world, you're not in love with God today. That's what the Bible says. Love not the world, neither the things that are in this world. How many know that the world is uh, uh, flashing all kinds of shiny stuff in front of our faces? 
And that's why, listen, even believers today have a struggle with giving time, energy, money, resources to God because they are so caught up in hobbies and all the extra things that we have and all the add-ons that we have in our lives that we don't need and we can't give because we're in debt or we can't give because we're not stewarding well or we can't give because we have all this other stuff and we have our own dreams and we say, God, I got my dreams and I need to resource my dreams and God says, dream bigger than yourself. Look at the church of the living God. Look at, look at the gospel of Jesus Christ. Look at the world in their lost condition. Care about your community enough to look into this world and say, we have got to sacrifice, give and go, so that the world can be reached with, Jesus, uh, with the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you believe in the message, you'll sacrifice that the message would go forward. If you believe that it's true, if by faith you have accepted yourself, you believe in its power to also set others free from the same bondage that you were in. How many know we live in a selfish world and we have a selfless Christianity? We live in a selfish world. It's always about ourselves. Listen, the church of today, what we have to do is we have to separate ourselves from that humanistic thinking of drawing a circle around ourselves and saying, me first, my marriage first, my family first. God says, put the family of God on the same level that you put your blood family and put them even higher because you're going to spend eternity with them. Raise the level of the value of the church. Don't devalue the church. Value the church. Understand the level that God puts the church on in your life. And I'm not talking about the organization, and I'm not talking about the building. I'm talking about the people. We are brothers and sisters in Christ, and that's not just something that we like to say spiritually speaking. Aesthetically speaking, that is something that is true about all believers that we are in the same family bought with the same blood of the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Christ has great value. But when you add to Christ, you subtract from Christ. Paul is repeating a point that he's made earlier in this letter in, in chapter 1. He says we need to remember that Scripture repeats itself for a purpose because we need to listen and we need to go on listening. And interesting how God will say something that he'll say it again and he'll say it again and he'll say it again. Why? Because he knows we're hard of hearing. And it's interesting that we as Christians like the Bible to say things that it doesn't say. How many of there are things that are not in the Bible that you wish were, they were? I wish there was a Bible verse. Let me manufacture one. I wish there was a Bible verse for this, so let me twist one that's there to make it say what I want it to say. I wish God addressed... Don't you think that God, in His eternal greatness and sovereignty, if He was going to give us one book, and He was going to limit the words in that book, and He was going to contain it to what He has contained it to... The six, by the way, the canon of Scripture is closed. We're not adding to it. We're not taking away from it. We're not getting new scriptural revelation today. All that God wants us to have, when that which is perfect is come, that which is in part shall be done away with. God has given us His perfect Word. It's entire, it's complete. And don't you think that if God wanted to address something, He would have? Of all the things that He wanted, oh, you know, God didn't know how it was going to be in 2020. Are you kidding me? Well, God didn't know how people were going to act in the church. God didn't know how things were going to be. Yes, He did. God knew everything that we uh, needed to know, and He gave us exactly what we needed to hear. And we love to speak where God doesn't speak while we are quiet about what God does say. 
And God repeats things for us. He says, listen up. Hear this. Paul wants the Galatians to remember, you cannot add to Christ without subtracting Christ. He's either all their value or he's without value. If law obedience becomes part of their system of salvation, it is their only system so that they become required, verse 3, to obey the whole law, which as we've seen is impossible. Justification through law is self-salvation. It is, verse 4, to be alienated from Christ. We cannot hold on to grace if we live by works. Look what he says. For I testify, where's that word? I testify again. Hey, I'm going to write it again. The Holy Spirit said, let me write this again for you, church. Let me remind you, I'm testifying again to every man that is circumcised that he is a debtor to do the whole law. If you're accepting the law as a way of salvation, then you have to do the whole law in order to be saved. That's a trap. That's why when we looked at the close of chapter 4 last week, he says, do you know what you're asking to be under the law? Do you understand? Do you comprehend what you're saying? If you're under the law, you're not under grace. And if you're under the law, you are obligated to keep the whole law. Let me just tell you this morning, there's only one man that has ever kept the whole law and completely fulfilled it, and his name is Jesus Christ. There will never be another man. There will be none greater There won't be another Savior. There's not another Lord. Jesus Christ is the Savior. He is the Lord. He is King of kings. He is the one that we are complete in. He is the only way to God, and there is no other way. And what Jesus has done is enough. The question is, is it enough for you? Because a lot of times we go, oh, I, I get it. My righteousness is in Jesus, but... Jesus, you don't get it. You know, I also need, need to, you know, do some things in order so that, I, you know, other people can accept me. And, and you know, so the, I just want to make you look good. And I want to make, Jesus looks good. You don't make him look good. He looks good. He looks just fine how he is. I'm not adding to how Jesus looks. If I'm doing anything, I'm taking away from it. Listen, what I want to say is don't look at me. Look at the one who saved me. Don't look to me. Don't look for me. I'm not your example. I'm not the one that... Hey, look to Jesus. All of the heroes in Hebrews chapter 11 are summed up with that. Looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. Don't look at Abraham. Don't look at David. Don't look, don't, don't, don't look at Gideon. Don't look at... Hey, hey, look at Jesus. He's the only one that can save us. He is our exceeding great reward. Verse 1 reminds us of our subjective freedom in Christ that we are no longer obeying God under a burden-enslaved motivation. Verses 2 through 4 reminds us of our objective freedom in Christ, that we are freed from the obligation to obey the whole law in order to be justified before God. What is Paul saying? The gospel frees us from both the guilt and slavery of sin and from both the condemnation of sin and the motivation to sin. I'm glad for that. God can take away and has in Jesus taken away your motivation for sin. He's taken it away. We could use another word, desire. How many used to desire to do some pretty evil, wicked things? And God has taken that desire away from you. Praise the Lord. And such were some of you fornicators, adulterers. Such were some of you addicted. Such were some of you uh, uh, lust-driven. Such were some of you liars, cheats, 
pride-filled, gossips, enviers, backbiters, haters of God. But now you're clean. You're not that anymore. You're not what you were. You're not defined by what you've done. You're not defined by how you live. You're not defined by the way you thought. You're defined the way that God defines you. You are clean. You are redeemed. You are made whole. You are set free. You are complete in the Lord Jesus Christ. And you are in need of nothing else. Be satisfied in Jesus. That's what he's saying. Hey, listen, he's all that you need. You don't need anything else. He's all the value. He's all the treasure. He's all the joy. He's all the peace. He's all the satisfaction. How many of you went in the world and you found that it doesn't satisfy? You did the stuff and it didn't satisfy. You can tell the kids here today, don't do it. It doesn't satisfy. And some of the kids may say, oh, listen, I'm going to do it anyway because it'll be different from me. The devil's a liar. He's a deceiver. He wants you to think you're going to get by. You're going to overcome on your own. You can pull yourself up. You can make it on your own. But I tell you today you need Jesus and nothing else he's your value he's your reward look what he says I'm confident in the Lord verse 10 I'm confident I have confidence in you through the Lord that you will be none otherwise minded but he that troubleth you shall bear his judgment whosoever he be oh there's going to be religious people that try to trouble us I get troubled all the time by religious people. Oh, you're not doing it the way that you're supposed to. Show me. Show me. Show me. Oh, that's not the way we've always done it. Show me. Where is it in here? It doesn't matter if it's in the past. It doesn't matter if it's a tradition. It doesn't matter if it's the way we always did it. It doesn't matter. And listen, some of us, we're stuck in our traditions and we're stuck in our rituals. We can't even worship the Lord. Oh, that's not a song in the hymn book. Which hymn book? I had somebody say, oh, if it's not written before 1960, it's not worth singing. God help us. God help us. What, that was the time that God has before ordained, before the foundations of the world, that he says, that's it, I'm going to be done with music now. I don't want anybody anymore to write any more music about me. Keep writing. Kids, write some songs. Sing to the Lord. Use your talents and your gifts and abilities for God. Write, art, create for the Lord. The world wants to steal all your gifts away wants to steal it all away and put you on a platform so the world can chew you up and spit you out. You'll be, a, you'll be a great name for about 15 minutes and then you'll be forgotten forever. But in the sanctuary of God, our worship can be glorious forever and ever and ever. Your life can matter for God forever and ever and ever. Listen, God values your name. He values your identity. Live for Jesus. Live for God. Don't sacrifice, don't, don't give to the world what God has given to you to use for Him. Worship the Lord, follow Christ. Last thing that I want us to focus on today in the text is this, let hope secure you. Let hope secure you. I got to hurry up because it's quarter to one. Nobody changed the clock in the back. 
It's actually, they didn't change it last year, so we're good now. <laughs> What's he saying? He says, hope for what you have. Hope for what you have. Let hope secure you. We have a problem, a major problem in English. We don't have enough words for what God said in the originals to describe adequately what God is saying here. We have redefined how words, what words mean. Uh, in English, the word hope has a much weaker meaning. This is a major problem. The word that means total assurance for us means not so sure. And that's why it's, it's, it's easy for us in English to misunderstand so many passages. In the true sense of the word hope is indicated in verse 5, and this is the verse we're going to close with. Notice he says, for we through the Spirit wait for the what? Hope of righteousness by faith. What's he saying? It's indicated by this verse. We can figure out from this verse what biblical hope truly means. It's not, I hope it will be sunny tomorrow. I hope I get the raise. I hope I don't get sick. I hope, it's, it's not an, an uneasiness about, an un, a lack of assurance for what might happen in the future. Are you with me? That's how we use the word hope. That's not how God uses the word hope. That's not what he's talking about at all. As a matter of fact, biblical hope completely assures us. Biblical hope is not about being unsure. Biblical hope is quite the opposite. It is about being completely confident. It's about completely resting in and having no doubts in your mind at all. How many need that kind of hope today? Being confident. That, that word hope, being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work is faithful to complete it. That's the same word. Confident. Hope. I hope. No, he that began a good work in me, I can be confident. I can expect that it will happen. It will be so because he says it will be so. What's he saying? What is it that we await? Notice in the text. He says we await something. Righteousness means more than goodness. Because sometimes that's what we think about when we think about righteousness because self-righteousness means being good. It means performing well. Be righteous, be holy. What are people saying to you? Do good, behave well, keep the law. That's what they're saying. And you find out, I can't. I can't be good. I try to be good and I fail, so I'm not good. And I'm trying to live a holy life, but I'm not because I fail. And I'm not holy because I'm living holy. And I'm not righteous because I'm living righteous. I'm holy because he's holy. I'm righteous because he's righteous. I'm clothed in his righteousness. I'm standing in his record. What is Paul saying? He's saying, he's saying righteousness, it's not goodness, it's completely right record. It's a right relationship with God. He's saying we can live today in light of our certain, guaranteed future glorification and welcome by God into his arms because we know since you're a son, Galatians 4.7, God has made you an heir. No one else, no secular person, no follower, follower of any other religion can look at their future like this. I've asked people of all different kinds of faiths this question. If you die 
right now, are you sure, 100% and confident, that you will go to heaven? You know what a religious person will say? Nobody can know that. It depends on how it works out in the end. If I get my last rights, if I'm right when I get there, if my good outweighs my bad, if, if, if the way that I've lived my life, I mean, I, I've, got to, I've got to make it work. I've got to keep working for it. I've got to keep working at it. And, and if, I, if I make it at the end, if I do enough good, how many are tired of being in the hamster wheel? You're running, but you're not getting anywhere. You're performing, but it's not accomplishing anything. That's not what he's talking about. He's not talking about running this race in a way that, like you're on a treadmill going nowhere. It's, a, it's the most hilarious thing. I wish people from other countries could have live streams of gyms in America. We do stuff, they do that stuff in their daily life like on a regular basis. And we pay for memberships to run to go nowhere. They look at it like, what in the world are these people doing? This is a normal thing to us. We're used to the rat race. We're used to the hamster wheel. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with it. I'm just saying it's funny. We should laugh at ourselves. We have to because we're so prosperous, because we have so much freedom, because we have so many different opportunities that avail to us that we can make money while we're sitting still. We can make money while we're doing nothing. We've got to do other things to do work. And we, we, we live in this world, and sometimes if we're not careful as the American church that we think running through this rat race and trying harder and doing more and exerting ourselves, and we go to the, the, the spiritual gym on Sunday, and we work out, we think that that's going to get us there. That's not hope. That's not confidence. By referring to the future, Paul turns our imaginations to what it will mean to be radiant, to be glorious, to be beautiful, to be perfect. Elsewhere, Paul says that Jesus lives to present us to himself. What's he say? Like a bride without spot, without blemish. You know what? One day you're going to stand before God. No spots, no blemishes, no sins, no scars, no history, just Jesus. You're going to be like him, and you're going to see him as he is. And one day, you're going to behold him in all of his glory, and he is going to transform you from glory to glory. He's going to transform you corruptible into incorruption, mortal into immortality. You're going to look at his beautiful face, and you're going to be as beautiful as he is. That is awesome. You know what he's saying presently? See each other that way now. See yourself that way now. Don't wait till it happens to praise God and have confidence. Have confidence now. The day is coming. It is short in, in the time frame. It is quickly approaching. Now is the time to glorify God, to praise God, to live for God, to thank God, to stand fast in this liberty wherein Christ has made us free. We know that this is guaranteed. And because it's guaranteed, it's essentially true now. You are rich now in Jesus. You have eternal life now in Jesus. You are redeemed now in Jesus. 
You say, I don't feel it. I don't sense it about my present. Well, be confident that it will happen in the future. Because those he justifies, he sanctifies. And those he sanctifies, he glorifies. No question about it. It's not if and when. You say, well, what about in the text where he talks about falling from grace? What about that? You skipped over the end of verse number four. What's he pointing to? He's pointing to a litmus test. If you fell from grace, you never got grace. If you fell from grace, you never got grace. If you, if you thought righteousness was in religion, you never experienced grace to begin with. What does he tell us in clarifying to us later? If they go out from us, it's because they were not of us. Because if they were of us, they would have continued with us. And the reason why they didn't is because they weren't. I don't wish that on anybody, but you know what I'm going to tell you? Christians continue. Christians persevere. You say, well, is there ever times where they go astray and come back? Absolutely. How many have ever done it? If you haven't done it where people know about it, you've done it in here. Have you ever gone astray up here? You ever run from God up here? Maybe nobody saw it. Maybe you're right here, you're sitting in the pew, you backslide in the pew before you backslide out of church. You can sit in the pew, be as far from God, and be running from God, and be in sin. Listen, you can know all the mechanics, you can know how to worship, you can know how to read, you could even be volunteering in the church. You could be on staff, you could be a pastor, you could be a deacon. Listen, you could be in church leadership and be far from God. We're just human beings. And listen, let me tell you this today. Go back to being confident in Christ. Go back being secure in Christ. Don't be led astray. Don't listen to the lies. Hey, listen, in Christ you are eternally secure. See yourself the way God says that you are. Don't listen to the lies. The devil says, oh, it's better over here. It's easier over here. Delight in God. Love God with all your heart. We need to turn our minds to who we are and what we have in Christ so often that our hearts are stirred and our behavior brought into line with these unseen realities. Listen, it's a reality, but it's just not seen. It's a reality, but it's just not seen. By faith, we can eagerly await God's promises. By faith, we can eagerly await them. Let me ask you this. Are you eagerly awaiting the precious promises of God? You say, it's not, will this happen? It's, it's going to happen. It's just a matter of time. You know what the prosperity gospel says? It's all now. You know what the Bible says? No, it's in the future. You're not going to get it all now. Prosperity gospel promises you heaven on earth. Prosperity gospel says you will be prosperous now. You will be your best that you are in this world. And you know what God says? In the world, you're going to have tribulation. But be of good cheer, because I've overcome the world. And guess what? You're in me, and you're safe in me. It doesn't matter what happens out there. It doesn't matter. Listen, there will always be a pandemic. There will always be a crisis. There will always be something to run from. There will always be something to be afraid of. Listen, some of you, you've lived long enough to experience Y2K, and we made it through. Some of you have been, been around to experience all the things. Listen. The world preaches fear. Hide. Run. Be afraid. Don't live confidently. You know what God says? Be confident. Live holy as I say you're holy. 
Live righteously as I say you're righteous. And don't worry about all this other stuff. Don't be afraid. How many times did Jesus say to his disciples, fear not? At the tomb, the angel had to say, don't be afraid. We are afraid of the miracles of God because truly, listen, we will be shook up as a church if we just experience God's glory and his revival again. I don't know about you, but I want God to revive me, revive our church, and push us forward. Listen, let's be a healthy, thriving, gospel-centered church that is living confidently in what God has rooted us in. And don't come off your mark. Stand fast in the liberty that Christ has saved you for freedom. If God has used this ministry in any way to be a blessing to you, please take a moment to send us an email to info at opendoornj.org. Also, if you would like to support this ministry financially, you can do so online at opendoornj.org. Thanks for tuning in.